God, we thank you for this wonderful morning to celebrate your resurrection. And of course, it's true that for us who believe, we celebrate your resurrection every day. The sun, as it rises, reminds us that the darkness has passed and that the light has come again. It, it, it proclaims the glory of the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so we worship you this morning, Father. I pray that you would bless this time that we have together and that you would truly be glorified. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you encourage our hearts? Would you enliven those this morning in this room who are dead? Lord, would you wash over us with your grace? Would you speak peace? Would you encourage our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I would love for you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And you can just stick a thumb in there. We'll get there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that we would love to give you when the service is over. Uh, I think they're back in this corner. So get yourself one, please. And what a beautiful day it is. I hope that you are here with us for breakfast. Uh, it is just a glorious morning, right? A beautiful day to celebrate the glorious truth that our Lord and Savior Jesus is not dead and in the tomb, but he is risen. Like the angel said to Mary, this has just been on my heart, and the other women with her, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And I have to ask you, do you believe that? I mean, think about it for a second. Do you actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The reason why Christians gather is for this purpose, not just on Easter, but every time they get together. It's to celebrate the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and if you don't believe that, then there's really no reason for us to gather here together. There's no purpose. But don't you see that if he did rise from the dead, then the whole world has been turned upside down by the resurrection of Christ. And I believe that the Bible is truly the revealed word of God, which means that it is factual in everything that it says. And I admit that is a pretty minority view today. But if the Bible teaches us that Jesus rose from the dead, then the tomb was empty and death has been defeated and everything is different. And if death has been defeated because Jesus rose from the dead, then the whole story of humanity is forever changed. But you know what I find fascinating is that this day, Easter, when the church celebrates the resurrection, the church ends up full of people who don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And maybe you're one of those people here this morning. Maybe your, your mother talked you into coming to church. Or a friend kind of sold you on the free breakfast or something like that. Maybe you're one of those people this morning. You, you don't actually believe. Or maybe you're one of these people who you kind of think that you do believe it, but you've never actually seriously considered the consequences of Jesus rising from the dead. And I tell you again, if it's true that Christ has risen, and I know that it is in fact true, then the rules have been radically altered and everything has changed. 
Once there were two men, they, they lived in Chicago, and they both independently decided they wanted to go to London. And so they each bought their tickets to fly on an airplane, and they then prepared themselves for their trip. And when the day came for them to depart on their trip, they both went to Chicago O'Hare International Airport. They boarded their flights looking forward to this trip to London, and they did so fully expecting to arrive there. When the flights landed, one man, he stepped off of the plane, and he was not at all surprised to find that he was indeed at London Heathrow Airport. After all, that's where he had planned to go. That's where he was intending to go. That's where he desired to go. And he knew that in order to get where he wanted to go, it was necessary for him to consider the implications of the destination of his flight. He needed to make sure that where his plane landed was the final destination where he, in fact, wanted to be. He had to think ahead about the consequences of the direction the the flight would go. He had to be intentional to get there. Now, the other man, he stepped off of the plane the day that he decided to depart, and he was both disappointed and surprised to find that he had actually landed in Boise, Idaho. And this man thought, it doesn't matter what plane I get on, so long as I'm flying somewhere, I'll get there. He thought, man, all airplanes, they all go up in the sky, they all land, they all pretty much go to the same place, right? He had ample time to investigate in order to make a wise decision to reach his desired destination, but he didn't think that it even mattered. He was too busy to consider the consequences of the direction that he was flying. He just assumed the destination would be London. He thought his good intentions to fly to London and his sincere desire to get there guaranteed that he could fly on any airplane and he would land where he wanted to be. And he never considered the consequences of what direction he was actually going. He never put any purpose behind where he desired to go. So he went to Boise. Now look, this is a a silly story, I admit it, but the truth is, the vast majority of people live their lives like this second foolish man. They know that one day their life is going to come to an end, and that end is going to have real and lasting consequences, but they don't think that it's important enough to consider the destination where they will land on that day. And although it's quite obvious that every airplane doesn't fly to the same place, These people blindly believe that when that day comes, they can board any old airplane and end up in London. End up at their desired destination without any forethought as to how they will get there. And my friends, don't you see, on Easter, on Easter we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then that fact changes everything. Ignore the consequences, if you like, and willfully choose to continue to live your life however you want. But please, please stop pretending like it doesn't matter. It matters more than anything else in this world. And I pray that you this morning would consider the consequences of the empty tomb. There is one airplane, one path, one direction that leads to salvation, and it's found only in the resurrection of Christ Jesus who died to forgive the sins of all of us who believe. And so have you made it the goal of your life to board that airplane at whatever cost? 
Or do you blindly believe as if it doesn't matter at all? And again, I beg you to consider the implications of this idea today, the consequences, the outcome of what you believe this morning, and to weigh that in light of what God tells us in the Word, His Bible. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, 4-7. through If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to follow along. And again, if you don't own a Bible, man, there's nothing that we would love more this morning than to give one to you after church is over. Let me read Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Man, I, I don't know if it's, if it's ever been made clear to you. I, I, I hope it has. But here is the good news that Christians believe. This is the good news that we celebrate on Easter because Jesus has been raised. We who believe in the resurrection have also been raised in him. Which means that the Christian does not live their life primarily in this world. We've already entered into the glorious riches of the kingdom of heaven through the resurrection of Christ. We are already raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places. Notice here that these verses are in present tense. When the Apostle Paul writes this, he's not talking about something in the future. He's talking about a reality that has already come for us who believe. And so it matters very little for us what happens in this life. Because in a sense, we've already departed for our final destination within the kingdom of God. I want to look at this with you piece by piece, starting in verse 4. And I'll read it and, and then comment on it. It says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Man, it's, it's a very popular idea today that God is love, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what we bank on as like the selling factor to get people into church. Everybody believes that. Scripture even teaches God is love. And I think everyone is banking on this fact. And indeed, it is absolutely true. God is love. He is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even notice how this verse starts here. I love it. But God. But God. It is God who has made the first effort to reach out to us in love. But please, you need to understand how this love is manifest. It's not just a general sense of warm, fuzzy feelings that God has towards mankind. I think when we say God is love, that's what a lot of people have in their mind. This being with kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling towards me. Scripture tells us that there is one particular way in which we experience the love of God. God has provided for us one singular way by which we may enter into this love that he has. That way is Christ. That way is the empty tomb. And what I need you to understand this morning is if you scorn that one particular way, if you reject it, 
If you board a different airplane in an effort to arrive at the destination of his love, then in fact, you reject the love of God that he offers. And in pride and in arrogance, what you do is you actually trivialize the cross of Christ and his death, the blood that was shed for you. God's own son becomes nothing to you. The sacrifice that he made is meaningless. And so, yes, God is absolutely love. And the proof of God's love for us is that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, he died for our sins to save us from death. That, my friends, is how God loves us. And because God loves us, he offers us a loving relationship with him. But there's only one way into that relationship, and it is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Let me actually go back a little bit to 4 and 5. It says, But God, there it is again, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The way into the love of God is through Christ. That's the only way. And when we were dead in our sins, God offered us a way to live through his son Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Christ, which is what we celebrate on Easter. And do you understand this? Because I don't think most people grasp this. I mean, I know most people don't grasp this. Do you understand that apart from Christ, you are dead? You are dead. Recently, I had the awful experience of losing a friend to death. Some of you guys know Tom Gould, who was a member of our church, passed away just months ago. Have you ever been around somebody who is dead? Have you ever actually been in the presence of a dead person? I mean, I sat there only moments after Tom died, resting my hand on his slowly cold, growing hand, his neck drooping, his mouth hanging open, and I was, just, I was just appalled at how grotesque death is. It's hideous. It's absolutely awful to behold. And yet, if I could peer into your heart this morning, if I could peer into your soul, if I had the ability to see past your flesh into your spirit, I would find many people in this room who are still dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins. Your body is alive, but the dark and grotesque stench of death still lingers over your spirit because you don't know Christ. Your flesh is very much alive, which is why you're here this morning, but your heart is cold and dead, and it droops with the unnatural decay of death. It's limp, it's lifeless, it's powerless to change. But, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ. Just as God put life back in the breast of Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead, God in his grace offers his loving kindness to all who place their faith in Christ. And the result is that we too 
are raised to new life, raised from the dead. Not just our bodies, although one day that will happen. I was thinking about Easter and my friend Tom who died and thinking this morning about how Easter has a whole new meaning to Tom now who has been raised with Christ. One day our bodies will rise, but even now by faith in Christ, our hearts and souls, we live and we reign with Christ who has conquered death. But again, please understand, let me make it abundantly clear so that there is no confusion when you step off of the airplane to your final destination. There is only one way into this eternal life. There is only one path by which we may receive from God the love that he offers. God is love and therefore his love has made a way for us to live with him forever through the death and resurrection of Christ. But if we reject that way, if we get on another flight, if we fail to surrender to him and cry out for his mercy, then we remain spiritually dead in our sins. And that stench of death lingers over our souls. And the good news that Christians believe is that God in his grace has chosen to offer us life. God in his grace took the death and the punishment that we deserve and he placed it on his own son. Is there a greater love than that? And it wasn't because we earned his grace. It wasn't because we were deserving of his favor. It's not because of our good works or our sincere desires or our good intentions, but only because God loves us and desires to raise us up with Christ, for our benefit, and for his glory. And so Christ died for you. He died for the forgiveness of your sins. But you need to understand that you only receive that grace, you only receive that love if you surrender to him. You only receive the benefits of the death that he died, the resurrection of Christ, if you choose to live under his banner of victory if you declare him your king, if you give up trying to reach the destination on your own. And if you want to get to London, you can try to get there by walking to Boston and swimming the Atlantic Ocean. But you're not going to make it. You know it, and I know it. The other option is you could receive what God has freely given you by grace. You could board the airplane that he's provided, and you can be guaranteed to reach the destination again by grace. God offers to make you alive, but the offer only comes through Christ. There is no other way. But I want you to understand something very important here. Let me read all of our scripture again, and I want you to pay very close attention to the last two verses. I want you to hear this last part. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There is a tragic misunderstanding of Christianity today that seriously devalues the cross of Christ and the miracle of the resurrection. Most people think that the message of Christianity is basically this, that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who rose from the dead, then you won't go to hell. 
And that is absolutely true. To place your faith in Christ means that God saves you from the consequences, the punishment of hell for your sins. Where those who reject Jesus, God's only offer of love and grace, those who reject him will suffer eternally for their offenses against a perfect, righteous, holy, holy, holy God. And I would say more than that, those in hell will suffer for their pride in rejecting the grace of a God who in love so graciously offered up his son to save sinners from death and from damnation. But listen, to emphasize that believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that all it does is get you out of hell, is to seriously devalue the gift that God has given us. Christianity is not just fire insurance. Christianity is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not merely an escape plan from the clutches of death and hell. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, do you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Let me tell you what it's like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden in a field. A treasure that a man stumbled across and realized how precious it was. So precious that he would go and sell everything that he has to buy that field so he could have the treasure. So great was this treasure that he had found that nothing else could compare to the riches that it contained. And so don't you see, don't you see that that the message of Easter, the empty tomb, the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, is that God is offering to you a great treasure. An immeasurable treasure. The greatest treasure that your mind could conceive. It's so much more than just a message that you could be saved from your sins and saved from hell, although that is a joyfully wonderful part of it. But the good news, the good news that Christians preach is so much greater than that. The good news is that God wants to give you the gift of himself in relationship to him. Ponder that for a second. The good news of the Christian faith is that God wants to give himself fully to those who place their trust in Jesus. God himself is the treasure that he offers to those who seek him. And everything that your heart truly desires, everything that you crave, everything that you were made to be, everything that you desire and long for, everything that you need to be satisfied and happy and joyful in this life and in the age to come is found in Jesus. And God, through the cross and through the resurrection, freely offers to give him to you. Drink till you are full. Gorge yourself on Christ Jesus by the grace of God. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is offering you life eternal, the fullness of the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection from the dead, and the culmination of all of that, the apex of it, the climax of this beautiful message is that even in all of that, God has something greater to offer, which is that God is offering to seat you beside him for eternity in the presence of Christ Jesus so that you might see God so that you might know him, so that you might experience the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. And so why? Why settle for an escape plan from hell 
when God is offering you eternal joy, eternal riches in relationship to him. And the reason why we celebrate Easter is to remember that Christ is risen. He didn't just die and stay dead, but he rose. He rose to secure a place for us in the kingdom of heaven in which we now live already if we have placed our hope in Christ. Let me close with this thought and then the kids can continue to sing. I had this thought kind of bouncing around in my head the last couple of weeks and I I hope that it will challenge you. I know in private conversations I've already mentioned this to some of you so forgive me for reusing some things that I may have already said. But I want you to think about this question really carefully. I see many of you here this morning, you don't go to our church on a regular basis, and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for coming. But I want you more than anything else to understand this message very clearly. I'm really not inviting you to add some religious church ceremony to your already overly busy schedule. I I, I couldn't care less whether you buy into the religion of Christianity What I want you to see clearly is the free offer that God is giving you of the riches of Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose from the dead to save you. And I want to make it clear that Christianity is not merely a religious duty that we feel obligated to. Maybe I would even go so far as to say, if I can be so bold, that I want to... I want to challenge you. I want you to see maybe this morning that even though you're a good person, you're maybe not in fact a Christian. Because your heart doesn't burn with a desire for Jesus. You just don't want to go to hell. And God is so gracious. He will take that desire and he can work with it. He's so kind. He's so loving that he will take a repentant heart in whatever condition it's in. He is rich in mercy and he loves us so much that Christ died. But you have to understand that we receive the love of God only by receiving Jesus as Lord. And so here's my question for you. If you got to heaven and when you arrived, it was just a 10 by 10 room with you and Jesus, would you be disappointed If you got to heaven and it was just you and Jesus in a room, would that be enough for you? Would you be satisfied by that? I mean, because that's what Scripture tells us, that the riches of Christ are incomparable. They will satisfy the hungry soul forever. And as you think about that scenario now, does that seem like the immeasurable riches of God to you? If you got to heaven and it was just you and Christ in a room, would that be the immeasurable riches of God's grace towards you? Or would that seem miserable? Because the truth is, the whole plan that God has implemented, this plan where Jesus dies for your sins and rises from the dead to defeat sin and death and evil, the whole purpose behind it is that God wants to give you himself in all his fullness. He, he is the treasure. Yes, he wants to save you from death and from hell, but in saving from that, he wants to save you to the eternal joy of his presence. 
He wants to give you all of himself and nothing less. He wants to offer you an eternal place in his kingdom, seated by Christ Jesus, forever satisfied in him. And if God's tugging at your heart this morning and you hear this, and maybe this is the first time that you've ever really realized, yeah, you know what, I I think I do want what the risen Christ offers, then cry out to God in your heart. He will be faithful to answer. You can do that right now. You can turn to him and say, Jesus, it's you that I desire. And for those of us in this room who do believe, you've heard this message before, you know what it means, you hunger and thirst for the immeasurable riches of Christ, then I just ask you to join, in a, join with us in rejoicing in the death and the resurrection of Christ who saved us from sin. Let us rejoice in his death and the blood that he shed that saves us. And let us rejoice all the more in the resurrection through which God has raised him up and also raised us up in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Let us praise him for the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of of life everlasting, the joy of satisfaction in him, the object of all of our desires. Let me pray. Father, what can we say before you? All of the richest, most beautiful words of the English language fall so far short of proclaiming your glory. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. This humble Savior King who died a criminal's death, who was crucified, whose blood was shed unjustly so that we might hear the words, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, we thank You that in this perfect atoning sacrifice, We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the righteousness of Christ. And so we worship you. We thank you not only for the cross, but also for the empty tomb. That the stone was rolled away and there was no body to be found because Christ had been raised. And we thank you, Father, that even now your Son is seated at your right hand in the heavenly places, that he intercedes for us. We thank you that your love has been so lavishly and wonderfully displayed in this one perfect gift. And I pray for those in this room, Lord, who don't know you, God, would you draw them? Would you open their hearts? Would you change their minds? Would they see the implications of the empty tomb? And we worship you for these things this morning. Amen.